Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will continue our discussion of the economic impact and response of the COVID-19 virus with AAF President Douglas Holtz-Aiken. Doug, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. How is uh, this weekend quarantine slash social social distancing going for you? Um, well, I have come to the the point in this cycle of uh, despair called acceptance, and uh, things are fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. Last week we discussed a potential phase four. Earlier this week, you you wrote a little bit about what a post cares act policy might look like with your four planks in your daily dish. Um, can you walk us through what those four planks are and what they will accomplish? So the, the major thing to do is to recognize that after the, the sort of peak of this lockdown effort, there will still be headwinds to the economy. Uh, it's going to be the case that we'll get recurrences probably of the virus uh, in the fall. Uh, there might be regional lockdowns or hotspots, things like that. So there'll be some headwinds uh, familiar to the to folks who've been through this. But there will also be uh, a, a big impetus for firms to not grow so much as insulate their operations from those potential attacks by the virus. So that means now we're going to have everyone have uh, some equipment at home. They're going to have Wi-Fi. They're going to have the laptop so that you have to vacate the building. They can go there and work. Uh, they're going to have uh, redundant call centers. They're going to change the physical layout of manufacturing facilities so people aren't too close. There's going to be a whole lot of things going on in the economy that aren't about hiring and expanding, but are more about dealing with the virus. So in that kind of a world, I think uh, you have to have as two of your policy blanks. Number one, find a way to to offset those kinds of supply shocks that make it harder to do business and more costly to do business with cost reducing incentives to invest and grow. And so we have some of those on the table that they could be genuinely valuable infrastructure, like a modern uh, air traffic control system. They could be making some of the tax policies permanent. So there's a little certainty about what the, the individual rates would be for small businesses or make the expensing provisions permanent for, for big uh, businesses. Things like that should be the focus, not one-time stimulus, but permanent changes to improve the growth environment because growth is going to be at a premium, I think. Second is help the firms uh, you know, adjust to this new world. Uh, it's costly to adjust, so we might be able to do some policies that make it easier. So as an example, we give right now a tax-free commuter benefit, so folks at AAF can get from AAF a, a little subsidy for their metro cards, things like that. Well, if we're going to have a future where uh, commuting is getting out of bed and going and sitting in front of your computer, uh, why don't we have a Wi-Fi subsidy to, to make that commute on a level pl tax playing field with a physical commute. So you can do some things like that. I think that makes sense. Then you're also going to have to think uh, some about uh, the health world uh, in two ways. Number one, there will be a premium on testing, treatment, and vaccines for COVID-19, but also for any other potential threats out there. Uh, we have experienced in this moment the difficulties of having uh, global supply chains uh, for those products. That doesn't mean global supply chains are a bad idea, but it does mean that you want to have those advanced medicines that are most important manufactured in the United States. So why not um, you know, focus on that? Have a, a double R&D tax credit for advanced medicines uh, tests and things like that. 
have a, a Make It in America initiative uh, that, that's not a defensive one that says we don't like other countries, but says we want to be a leader in this, make things, send them uh, out across the world. It's a good business decision uh, as much as anything else. And then lastly, I think one of the things we learned in this is uh, the providers in America, the hospitals, the docs, the clinics, all that are overregulated to a remarkable degree because when it came to trying to treat people who had been uh, infected, we had to waive all sorts of regulations in order to get it done effectively and get it done quickly. That means something's wrong, and we should simply, on a permanent basis, take some of the things that they waived and get rid of them entirely. That'll free up the, our providers to compete more effectively across the board and give us, you know, some progress in the ongoing uh, goal of making healthcare cheaper in the United States. So those are four things that I think should occupy policymakers in the time that, uh, after we get past the worst of the lockdown. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you know everything in line with what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, where a phase four should definitely focus on you know what are the things we should do to when we reopen the economy and all that and all that um, fun stuff. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing is philosophically, this should not be a phase four that is a a one time sort of let's send checks or a one-time policy of some sort that, that that begs for a phase five. It should be a phase four that says, this is how we're going to live now. Economically, mm -hmm. health policy-wise. Yeah. Um, shifting to the near term, in what seems like a more positive development, the talk this week on social media and in the news has been on reopening the economy. Um, what are the key things policymakers should do, should be thinking about as these discussions go forward? Well, I, I think the the thing I've said from the beginning is the number one economic policy objective should be the public health mission. It, in, unless you have an effective way to control the spread of the virus, treat those infected, uh, you really will not be able to reopen the economy in any significant way. So that 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 just says don't open prematurely. Make sure that you've got things in place. I think there's now an increasing recognition that we have to have testing capabilities on a massive scale, what we do not have right now. And among the things that I would envision in, in the, the planks I discussed earlier would be workplace as the platform for testing. Like, you know, you can, every employer is gonna wanna be able to take temperatures when people walk in, they're gonna wanna be able to, to test if necessary. So rapid testing kits for to identify those potentially infected and to identify those who are uh, previously exposed and perhaps immune, that information is invaluable. Until we have genuine information, everybody's the same. They're all a potential carrier. They're all a potential victim. And, and we have to have, take these sweeping actions. More targeted actions are less costly, but we can't do that without the information. I think those are the key things. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, a lot of people right now are talking about, you know, the economy is this huge and complex thing. Yet, you know, a lot of people are talking about the economy in binary terms of open and closed. What are the options for opening the economy? I, I don't love the, the way people are... Uh, Framing this issue, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know the strategy for reopening the economy as if you know there was a control room in the West Wing and you just sit down and you press a button and, and off it goes. That that's not the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy uh, runs itself. It, it works because people go to their jobs, they do their jobs well, they get a paycheck. Companies organize themselves so they can make money, provide products that people value. People will do that. We don't have to start it. They'll do that. What we have to do is tell them it's safe to do that. And so, you know, the information I discussed earlier about, you know, is it safe to go do that is really the key to, to getting the restart 
and it will restart to the degree that we can provide that safety. And if the safety's you know instantly there, then it would restart very quickly. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, obviously, this whole thing is a balancing act between economic and public health concerns. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about you know the cure is worse than the than the than the disease or something you know something along those na- that nature. Um, is there a point where economic factors could deteriorate so much that it would make sense opening up the economy sooner, even if there's not a clear way forward on the health front? Uh, yes. Um, but, you know, economists are a cheery bunch. So we, there's already been uh, a series of papers doing a benefit cost test on, you know, the lockdown. And we know that the benefit of the lockdown is you save some lives. Um, the federal government actually puts $10 million as the value a statistical life. And so you can take a shot at how many um, lives have been saved. It looks like, you know, we've got about uh, $10 trillion worth of benefit from uh, from saving lives, but it's been costly. Like, I mean, we, you've seen 22 million people be put out of work in the, in the past month. And we have seen record declines in retail sales and housing starts and industrial production, you name it. Uh, the numbers are terrible. Uh, so those are costs. But every evaluation that I've seen to date says that the benefits exceed the costs, right? So it has been, quote, worth it to do what we've done. That wouldn't always be true. If we continue to, to sort of take a $20 trillion economy, turn it into a $5 trillion economy, at some point, it's not going to be worth it. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a real concern. Got it. And then and then there's been a lot of back and forth this week about, you know, who makes the call for businesses um, to reopen, the federal governments, the states. Assuming all the individual states make the call, how how would that work? Will will the nation nation's economy, you know, being so interconnected with each other? I, I think it's going to be messy at best. To be honest, you you, you think of a, a large multi-state firm. Once one one state's opening up, the other is not. They they might need both facilities running to actually work effectively, and they can't do that yet. Um, interstate commerce is uh, a key thing in in the world, and uh, it'll be impeded by by the the ongoing uh, lockdowns in some places. These are the kinds of headwinds I, I was referring to earlier. It's just not going to be the case that everywhere and for everyone is going to get uh, a clean restart with no threats. And and so I think you know we should expect improvement, but I don't think we should expect a miracle. And and I, I expect it to be pretty messy. Mm-hmm. So do you think these uh, multi-pax uh, agreements between states? Is a good idea. Like, I think it was New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, etc., coming together and saying we're going to all work together on making sure we op- reopen around the same time. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, where where I'm located, Virginia ought to be talking to Maryland and D.C. But, yeah. you know, they're, they're, those are a cohesive metropolitan area, and you should open it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as we mentioned, you're in Virginia. I'm in D.C. You know, same Beltway neighborhood um we haven't really seen the same intensity of an outbreak as as cities such as new york at least not yet assuming things remain relatively calm on the health health front how might reopening a city like dc differ economically than opening a more economically hurt place um like new york city well i mean dc is a unique uh phenomenon because it's company town and the company is the federal government and Mm -hmm. so the restart happens when Congressmen and senators feel they can stand on the floor and debate the the issues of the day, and and probably not before. When when it's safe enough to do that, it's safe enough to to have everything function, and you 
you'll, you know, you'll have that that happen somewhere uh, in the not too distant future. It also allows for uh, greater, I think, telecommuting than most places have, which is a huge advantage. The agencies have been working for a long time to allow people to work from home. They do have uh, a history of staggered work schedules and four-day weeks versus five-day weeks. And there's a lot of flexibility that has been developed over the years in the main employer in town, which is the federal government. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be an advantage compared to some other places. It seems like every year we're dealing with, you know, these snowstorms where the federal government's got to shut down for a day and everyone goes home and telecommutes or some something like that. So that's got to have a clear benefit on on all of on all of this, where the infrastructure is already kind of in place. I, I think the the complicated thing that will show up in some places will be the schools. You can't really reopen the businesses if you can't reopen the schools. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to have to stay home with the kids. And uh, so coordinating that, I think, across states, across these sort of multi-jurisdictional and multi-problem areas, I think that's going to be a major issue. Got it. Um, so let's shift gears and you know talk a little bit more about the current state of the pandemic, uh, economic impact. You know, Many people this week got their government checks. What impact is that going to have on the state of the economy? Well, I think um, you know getting twelve hundred dollars per per person is a, a big help to household finances. Uh, the whole idea is to give them the ability to spend more, uh, sustain their standard of living. There are obvious limitations on doing that right now because they're not going to go to a restaurant, they're not going to go to the movies. There, there, there are still lockdowns and uh, safety issues. Uh, you know, we can't go to the movies, can't go, but but we have seen substitutes for those activities emerge. Right, you can order in the food from the restaurant you might normally have gone to. You can uh, stream a newly released movie instead of going to the theater. And online retail has taken off during uh, the, the lockdown. So uh, people will have the capacity to spend that money. Uh, they will probably follow the traditional rules. About two-thirds of it will go out into the economy and and provide business for, for some people and perhaps some struggling businesses. And about a third will be tucked away for, for later use. And so um, that'll be helpful. Uh, I don't think it will be a, an enormous noticeable uh, boom, but it'll be helpful to to bring us through this tough period. Mm-hmm. So, and then last week we talked a lot about the small business loan program, um, you know, running out of money and all of that. What is the current state of that program? Has anything changed over the last week? Uh, it is essentially out of money by all reports in the sense that it has committed to loans that will add up to about $350 billion. That's true sort of day by day we're close no one knows exactly I, I think there are some remaining concerns at, at least anecdotally very few firms actually have gotten the money so while you know Congress did its job and, and uh, appropriated it and the, the lenders have taken the loans and the SBA has approved the loans someone needs to get a check and, and quicker uh, I think that's a, a big issue for that program among the reasons that uh, it hasn't gone very well is banks are nervous about liability for who they're lending to and whether they're going to misrepresent the uses of the funds and things like that. Uh, Most people think it would be beneficial for Congress to legislate a complete waiver of all ability to prosecute the the banks for their participation in this program that would ease up the the credit a little bit and get it out a little faster, a little less nervousness about the scrutiny. Is this guy, are we laundering money for a, a drug cartel? You know, um, you know, in normal times, you want to check for that. Speed is of the essence here. Probably want to fix that. And the other thing people have uh, sort of noted is that 
the funds are devoted to uh, payroll costs by and large, mortgage interest, uh, rent. Uh, most people would like a broader definition of how the funds can be spent on, on all operating costs, whatever it might be, because not all firms have as big a payroll. They have other big uh, overhead costs that they have to carry. So there's some tweaks they could make to the program. Congress would have to, to agree to do them. And as, as you know, they can't come back right now. So it gets complicated getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then some of the other policy discussion um, has been around things like hazard pay and other measures to help the economy get on the right track. I know you wrote earlier in this about this earlier in the week. Can, could you walk us through um, that discussion? Yeah, there, there have been uh, you know, the notion that you should have uh, ha- hazard pay for essential workers. Uh, essential is in the eye of the beholder. But what people t- typically have in mind is, you know, the supermarket clerk who's standing there ringing everybody up and, and, and put in danger as a result. Um, my essential workers would probably be the truck drivers, uh, training operators, you know, the, the supply chain. There are people out there who are going to work facing potential exposure, and, and the idea is to compensate them for that. Um, and that sounds like a great idea when you think about it, you know, that we should do that. And in the circumstances that we find ourselves where we didn't anticipate the the virus and the, the following pandemic, um, sort of compensating by Congress is something that most people can support. My point is that the longer this goes on, the less it's unanticipated. We should be able to anticipate that people who have those kinds of jobs are exposed in the same way that we can anticipate that loggers are in the most dangerous profession in America. And that if you're going to get someone to be a logger, you do have to pay them a little bit more in, uh, to compensate them for that danger. We're going to start to see the clerks and other people who have potential exposure getting paid better to compensate them for those potential exposures. And the hazard pay will get built into the market system and you won't have to legislate it. Well, something that that either you would provide it or you wouldn't have grocery clerks. And, and that's over time how it's going to adjust. Is this something that would be part of a phase 3A type of situation? Um, I What I've seen are a variety of proposals. Um, you know, the uh, Senate Democrats have something called the Heroes Fund. This is part of that uh, proposal. They're looking to put it into whatever legislative vehicle they can. Uh, there have been some Republicans also interested in this. Uh, presumably, they're just waiting for a target of opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so today's uh, we record on Thursdays because we have a bunch of you know key economic data comes out on Thursdays. It seems like um, what were you following this week? What's it telling you? The, the most important real time indicator we have uh, are the new claims for unemployment insurance. Those people who are newly unemployed and eligible to go get uh, benefits. Uh, we saw this uh, sharp uh, spike upward in, in those those claims from about 4 million uh, to six, two weeks in a row. Uh, and, and we saw a tick down to 5.2 million uh, today. Um, that's that's not an enormous improvement by any means. We used to get at the worst of the Great Recession, 600,000, and we're still in the million. So there's an enormous amount of uh, economic harm being done right now. But having it level off and decline is, is, is a small glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, any final words of optimism for for our listeners? Well, I, I remain optimistic. The economy uh, became the largest, most powerful economy the world has ever seen because it's not run out of Washington, because it's, it's run in a very decentralized way that re- responds to the tastes of the local community and the work conditions and the skills that they have. And it will also respond to the, the health conditions on the ground. And 
where the health conditions permit, we'll get uh, economics uh, going again. And where the health uh, conditions don't, we'll have to wait a little longer. But uh, I'm not worried about the, the U.S. coming back. It will. The question is just when. Mm-hmm. My also other optimism is uh, um, sports looks like they might be returning to give us some sort of entertainment in the future. Um, the PGA announced that the golf will probably be back in June. And baseball, of course, is talking about how to how to reopen potentially in Arizona or some other types of ways. So I'm happy at least with that. Well, I have found a great substitute, which is um, I only watch Super Bowls that the Steelers won. And I've been re-watching them. I watched them versus the Cardinals last night. That's a feel-good experience, right? You never lose. It's your team. And I'm just going to keep doing that. Yeah. I don't know about you, though. But when I watch the Patriots reruns, I still find myself getting anxious, getting, you know, saying, why the hell would we do that? Even though I know at the end of the day, we were about to we're, we're going to win that game. Uh, I'm exactly the same. And, um, you know, despite my vociferous um, uh, comments and my, my uh, mental energy, the outcomes are always the same. It's really weird. <laughs> well, Doug, thank you for joining us. And I look thank forward you. to our continued discussions over the the COVID-19 impact. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.